welcome to the ANC podcast. My name is Natasha Collins. I am the host of this podcast. I'm also the founder of NC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors, where I have a members club for landlords and property investors to come and build mixed use and commercial property portfolios. If you want to find out more, head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk. Okay, today, super excited. I have one of my favorite people to have a good conversation about all things finance, Steve Wallace. Hi, Steve. Hi, Natasha. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. I thought we would just take all of the conversations that we have usually when we're we're chatting and bring it onto the podcast so everybody else can hear what we chat about because I think it's useful in this day and age of chaos. When I say chaos, it's not all chaos. It's not entirely chaos. Depends what you're invested in. That's true. That's true. So can we start by going through a background of you, what you do, where you come from, what you enjoy doing? What, where's yeah. your speciality? Football coaching. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, the only thing I think so the only thing I think I'm actually good at is football coaching, not playing football. Uh, the whole, you know, I know more than I can do myself. Um, but the, the trickiest qualification I ever got was when I was 21 and I got my level two football coaching qualification from the FA. Um, and it was only, there were 14 of us doing a, a sort of a intensive week. I slept on my mate's floor in Nottingham. And I think there were about six professionals uh, and it was only me and the guy who used to play for Arsenal who passed it first time. And the guy around the course was like, uh, so anyway, you passed. And I was like, all right, brilliant. He's like, no, 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 there's only you and Craig. I was like, all oh, right. He's like, yeah, so you need to go and get your UEFA B part two in the next year. And you might actually have a career in this. I was like, I'm a broke student. I can't afford it. So didn't do anything <laughs> with it. Didn't do anything with it. But I have coached uh, in America. I've coached uh, in Australia and all around the UK as well. So what I do like is football coaching, but I don't really like what's going on with the sport at the moment, but we won't get into that because I could go for hours. Um, my, my background is actually financial services. So I'm a risk risk guy, I suppose, where uh, I started out in Canary Wharf in London in 2005. For anyone who knows their history of the financial crisis, I was rating CDOs. So if anyone knows what that is, I had a front row seat for the financial crisis when I was about 24, 25. Uh, I've had to, you know, explain myself to American lawyers since about whether I was doing the right things or not. Um, and yeah, and so I, I was the only person who left and didn't go to a bank to earn the big bucks. Uh, I was at the rating agency rating them where you didn't earn the big bucks. And I left uh, because I didn't really like it that much. And that was July 2007, just before it all started going wrong. And I went and became more of a financial analyst, which is what I studied a bit at university and done a placement year in. And I, quite, I just quite liked, always liked numbers, didn't do very well at A-level maths because it wasn't really numbers anymore. It was all physics and stuff like that. Um, but numbers I've always loved, basically. And then when I got more into the risk side of numbers, I was like, oh, this is quite interesting, actually. There's all these people really good at sales. That's not really my thing. Um, but I could just like recover the company more money. So when I was in financial services, especially consumer lending or payments, we could do better, do a better job of collecting money which goes straight into the company as cash, goes straight to the bottom line as profit if you've already written it off. And I just I just really quite liked it. I worked with some people who are smarter than me, learned a lot from them. Yeah, and that's taken me all over the world, actually. I, I worked for a consumer lender out of Helsinki, uh, and they were across 20 countries. So 
traveled everywhere, all over Europe, all over Scandinavia, Canada, even Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, and I was actually chief risk officer at the bank in Malta for a couple of years as well. Um, they burnt me out. I actually collapsed on a plane in 2017, quit the next day. Uh, and that's led me now to trying to work a bit less and not do all the crazy exec stuff, um, which is what burns you out. So I've, I've done some non-exec gigs since, since then. So I've had one at a peer-to-peer -peer lender in Leeds, um, but I've realized with non-exec gigs in, in financial services, they don't really pay you enough for the risk you take in, personal risk especially. So I left that as well. Um, and then, yeah, and I'm, I'm also a shareholder and director of a property company around North Yorkshire as well. Um, and alongside that, I do a bit of consultancy like we've been working on recently, and I invest as much as possible across various asset classes. Amazing. You have had a varied career up until this point, and we've only known each other for the last couple of months. And every time we chat, I just love the stories, the information, the knowledge that you bring to it. And yes, uh, Steve's also been working inside the members club on uh, investor finance compliance, which is going incredibly well. Yeah, thanks. I actually geekily well i've really enjoyed it for a start i think you know i've really enjoyed the interaction has been brilliant it's always way more fun when people are engaged and asking questions that side of it's been encouraging and you know really um yeah i've been really happy about that but i just i've only ever worked on the side where you're having to adhere to the compliance and i think that it's quite hard to get that knowledge and that information if somebody's been in it you know and been in it actually the fca the maltese one as well I've been grilled by all the auditors, you know, and all that stuff, like when we've had to produce these regulatory documents. So having to yeah, adhere to the to the regulations, there's there's quite a lot to it, but it's not it's not that tricky. It's just you just got to learn some of the really fundamental stuff and then just apply it in the right way, I think is what I've learned. And yeah, if I can pass on that information, I'm sort of, you know, really happy to because it only helps the industry, really. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. Thank you so much for that. Um, should we start with, I think one of the big things that we talk about a lot is kind of where the industry goes wrong, because the reason I reached out to you is that I was seeing a lot of things that I just didn't think were quite right. And I'm not, um, I know my boundaries. I know that I'm definitely not anything to do with the FCA. It's kind of on the periphery, but as a firm of surveillance, we have to stay regulated. And so I came to you and I said, Steve, I don't get the feeling that there's a lot of compliance out there in the property investment industry how do you see that how do you see it when you're on social media what are you seeing that you think oh my gosh this is yeah. a massive issue yeah it and it's a tricky one right because it's a gray area for sme property people because the fda um you know monitors re regulated and well these are points of representatives in the financial services industry, of which you are not in the financial services industry. However, you're speaking to investors and that the FCA do care about. So they care about, you know, the individuals and the, the people who've built up a massive savings pot and in their 70s, they chuck it all into one thing they don't know much about because I'm until they get 20% return. That's what the FCA doesn't like. Um, it doesn't like the fact that that sometimes is highly unregulated. Um, and some of it is totally fine to be unregulated. Crypto is largely still unregulated. There's other other areas like physical assets is unregulated, like classic cars, art, wine, all that stuff. But they think that where there's a financial instrument or a 
quite obvious financial transaction taking place, they, they should be more either aware of it or people should be doing their best to do the right thing. And I think that that's where the, the SME property world can, can really, well, individual companies can elevate themselves by appearing as if they are regulated. That's the way I look at it. I was like, if you act like you are regulated, you will stand head and shoulders above other people. And especially if you want to speak to the people with the bigger pots, like the SAS funds or family offices or people like that, they're going to want to see that you've got your risk disclaimers in place, that you're, you know, um, that you're taking the right precautions with self-certifications, things like that. Um, and I think that the whole industry will only ever benefit the more and more people are doing it and the more and more that are seen to be doing it, as opposed to chucking something on LinkedIn or Facebook saying, I'll pay you super secure 10% returns a year, guaranteed. Always stick that guarantee bit in there. And that that's just... <laughs> It's just asking for trouble because it's quite unlikely they're going to come after you. I keep forgetting how many um, firms the FCA oversee, but it's in the tens of thousands. Um, so they're not really going to come and look for you, but don't give them a reason to as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people who put this all over social media, just shamelessly post to people who they don't know what who they're posting to or what the background is do you are you scared by that does that make you think like oh my gosh yeah yeah and it's i mean people people listening to this will probably have heard of some of these phrases i hope i'm not going to you know too sort of over the top with it but the fca distinguished between three different types of people really individuals retail investors which is most of the country uh high net worth individuals which is a small proportion tends to be earning over a hundred thousand a year or they've got more than a quarter of a million in assets or a sophisticated investor which is someone who who you know, spends a lot of time probably researching, and analyzing and dipping their toe into various things to see um, what they like. You know, do they like peer to peer? Do they like crypto? Um, do they like Cedars and Crowdcube, all that sort of stuff? Um, and they're probably doing that alongside investing their ISA, paying into their pensions. These people spend a lot of time and the FCA, they, they think that the last two should be able to make up their own mind. They're either not going to put, they're either not going to lose their life savings or they're going to be able to understand what they're looking at. For the retail investors, that's the bit that they just want to protect those people because that's the majority of the country. And they're the ones you see in the news where they've blown all their money on something, on one thing that they chucked all their their savings into. And that is, it's scary um, that people would do that. Um, but yeah, it's also got to be on the company to have not spoken to them and been, you know, like sort out your moral compass, basically. <laughs> So as property investors, if we're going out for investor finance, then it's our job to make sure that we're going out to high net worth and sophisticated investors, not just the average retail investor. And so to, in order to do that, we can't just post on social media, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's and I, there's, there's some you know really good people in this industry, people who aren't, again, they're not really entirely regulated, but they're trying to bring the sort of level up as well as some some things that I've attended recently where um, I've seen yeah these posts put in a group that be maybe 80 people who are actually property people or SaaS investors or something um, and somebody would just post something in the chat you know oh, I've got this awesome opportunity and details the whole thing about the opportunity including all the returns and you know it says if you you know there's no no disclaimers in past performance is not a reliable indicator go speak to your independent financial advisor none of those sort of disclaimers in there which which cover you a lot and and the guys who are running it just absolutely hammered them and told them delete that right now. You don't know who's on this call, 
and that that is it you don't know who's there and who might act on something um and you may be really happy like, oh brilliant this is just another investor yeah but uh there's plenty of investors out there plenty of people who want to get their money out and lending to property projects with good security you don't need to go and speak to the ones who've put in their last 20 grand into whatever you're doing no and that's one of the big the big issues at the moment this belief that there's no money out there to invest in your property but are you seeing that's a huge amount of investment at the moment yeah there aren't there aren't enough opportunities for a lot of people there's um and there's also probably pent up demand pent up uh, demand from last year especially private equity uh, i spend quite a bit of time in mergers and acquisitions and this Q1 has been nuts. It's been absolutely bonkers for us, the amount of deal flow and opportunities, because hardly anything happened last year. People were not sure how their business was going to go. They didn't think it was a good time to sell because they were having to show, you know, all the, like, they weren't showing much revenue. They're showing the bounce back loans and their furlough and all that stuff. Whereas now with the vaccines, you know, starting to turn the corner. And I think that, yeah, property investors, pe people will, for a good property project, you shouldn't find it that difficult finding people if you're reasonably well connected and if you go about things in the right way there is money that wants to go into your projects mm -hmm. so what would you say is the right way of going about it and finding investors yeah so there's there's quite a lot too obviously we're discussing a lot of it on the masterclass yeah. i i've broken those down into there's the financial promotion rules there's then the exemptions which is how you you make sure that you're just speaking to the relevant people uh, we're going to be talking about disclaimers this week and then we're kind of all bringing it together so there's those three areas really um and it's it's making sure your investor pack or whatever it is that you've got um has all the right information in it is like the main thing in financial promotions is fair clear and not misleading you know those are things just always be thinking that um also you know don't fib about stuff like you know if you've got a deal analyzer and you've put the numbers in correctly we'll just show that you know you don't need to show it's going to make someone 50% in a year. They might be more than happy with 8%, you know. Um, and so you don't need to over-egg stuff, really. Um, if you've got a good property deal, it's not like it will sell itself, but certain people will be interested, especially if it's backed by security, um, which can't be found in a lot of other asset classes. No, that's the thing. I mean, one thing we do see a lot of on social media is invest in this deal because you won't get by those kind of returns in the bank. What's your thought process on that? Yeah, you have to be careful comparing apples, was it apples with oranges or whatever? So comparing to a 0.01% bank return, yeah, I know, but you don't have financial services compensation scheme protection, do you, SME uh, developer? <laughs> um, where, whereas that HSBC account or whatever does. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, I think it's, you know, you, you can compare to other things, but you then need to be fair with fair, clear and not misleading and all that stuff about what the differences are. You know, so if you're comparing to bank out, it's also liquid, right? Liquid meaning you can pull your money out when you want a property deal. If you're putting your money in there for 12 months, you can't just ask for it back while the house is being refurbished. Right. So it's just those sorts of things. I mean, that is always the classic, you know, oh, you get nothing in the bank. Yeah, I know, but you can get the money whenever you want. Use. <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think i think um but again i, I just you know I've, I've been investing in peer to peer as well for about three or four years and it, it's come a long way um but having said that there's only a few firms in the uk that are actually fully regulated themselves um a lot of them lean on this appointed representative model 
a lot of them go pop. The house crowd just went bust the other week, uh, which is one of the first ones. Um, so, yeah, it's the whole, you know, um, investor beware or whatever. But I think that I, I just still think, actually, I think I'm bringing this up this week on, on the masterclass. I think I think bringing the personal touch back is actually a good thing. Um, if you if you can actually see, you know, hopefully soon we can all see each other a bit more frequently. If you can actually get an investor and bring them to your deal, show them what you're going to be doing. That's a bit different to stick it on this platform, turn on auto invest, and it's going to go out to so many projects or whatever. Um, the funding circle model that is more for um, for SME investing. But yeah, I think I think that the opportunity to get money into good deals will always be there in this country, always. Mm -hmm. Why are so many peer-to-peer -peer lenders going bust or yeah. disappearing? Yeah, that is the, that is the question, and this is obviously only my opinion, but having worked in a few, um, the, the, <laughs> cost, the, the costs of running the platform are really high that people don't realise. So compliance costs a lot, right? So you've got to pay staff for that. You've then got to have um, sort of capital adequacy and all this other sort of stuff. Keeping on top of the compliance costs a lot. The platform necessar doesn't necessarily cost a lot. Um, I, th I think the ones that the platforms that do well, they have other income streams. So, mm -hmm. um, so I was at Source Capital last year, nice end-to-end -end model. So they have the franchise, which source and those franchisees source the opportunities. They then bring it to the platform where they get the borrowers. The platform is probably loss making, but then they also can sell the end units as well to their database. So they have other income streams, which means the platform doesn't have to make much money. Whereas if they are purely just a peer-to-peer -peer platform, the fees you earn are not that big um, and you've got all these costs. Mm -hmm. yeah, sim simple, cash flow, simple cash flow challenges. Okay, and so if they're not monitoring that. So how would you know if you were investing in something and you thought that that company was gonna go under or you're not gonna know? No, no. So the house crowd, literally, I only found out through a mate of mine um, because there was no announcement. The board of directors met and the next day they'd gone pop and the employees didn't know or anything like that. <gasps> this, this is only what I've heard. They apparently didn't know. Um, yeah. And it was just here's an email saying the board have voted to put the company into liquidation. Crazy. So there was no notice. Wow. Then, but, think... then, but then a bit naughtily, it then came out, I think, last week that all of their development loans have been in default. So they'd, <gasps> all been, they'd all been late and they kept that quiet, which is naughty. So, yeah, and this this is the thing, I mean, but but also people have to remember, so peer-to-peer -peer is really new um, and some companies are, are doing really well with it and they'll continue to do really well. But it's when people go, oh, there's a new thing, I'm gonna go launch a company and they don't have much experience, especially in financial services. There's a real lack of financial services background um, uh, with, with a lot of the platforms. So there's people who come in and think they can make a quick buck and it, or, or you know, build a company that's worth millions and sell it. And the reality is very, very different. Um, so yeah, so I, I just think it's what it's one of the it's one of the harder industries in fintech, especially to to make money. And there's a lot of competition as well. There's so many platforms now. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just it's just a tough. Yeah, tough niche, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think part of that has been because of the pandemic and the changes that we're seeing because of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the house crowd would say, you know, that that last year they they just got hammered, you know, by not being able to have people on site working, um, and then sales, you know, people not a lot of confidence for people to actually buy the the finished units as well. 
uh, even with the stamp duty sort of changes. So, yeah, it's no real surprise that they've gone bust just after, you know, the mm. year we've had. Mm -hmm. How are you seeing the market at the moment? I mean, I know this is a general question. We've had a lot of conversation about it. One of the big, big things is that I don't think anybody has really um, taken Brexit into account or even thinks about that at the moment. And I'd love to know your thoughts on it. On So on the UK property market? Yeah. And how, um, you know, how how has it changed over the last 12 months? But also what impact has Brexit had on that from your point of view? Yeah, Brexit's, Brexit's a funny one. So I, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't mind saying. So I voted to remain at the time, mainly for giving the kids um, opportunities when they're older. They, I, I love Spain, I love Portugal. The fact that the kids could live in those countries when they're older was enough of a reason for me. Um, I, I actually think that obviously, like with the vaccines, we've seen that Brexit in some ways has worked out quite well. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we've never been part of the uh, Eurozone anyway, so we've been in control of our own currency. Maybe being in control of our own destiny is going to be a good thing as well. But I, I think that Brexit's impact on the property industry, I, I don't think there really is anything at the moment. It's more, um, it's more, you know, the sort of response to the pandemic in terms of the, uh, the money printing and what that might do to inflation. I think we just had our new energy bill come through in one part of it. And most people won't even spot stuff like this. I'll straight in, straight in with my calculator saying to my wife, you're seeing this thing, this like day rates up 22.3%, you know, like that's actual inflation. You know, it's not what you see in the, in the thing that they report. It's no, no, no. What impacts you day to day, your fuel, like petrol you put in your car, the, the electricity bill for us, it was childcare as well. That rocketed in like three, four years. It was up like 25% in three, four years. So that stuff. So I think how that all impacts on the property market is property is a hard asset, right? And physical mm -hmm. hard assets do well in inflationary environments. So business assets do well, precious metals do well, and things like property do well. So, so it could be that the property market will continue to do well, but at the same time, it's been um, propped up, you know, really, because people have been given free money through furlough, so they can still pay their, their mortgage. Um, so what happens if furlough ends? You know, is there going to be mass unemployment? Um, and the stamp duty benefit stuff. So there's a lot of things which are meddling with with the true economy at the moment, and we won't know how that plays out. And another one, again, for anyone who's old enough and remembers 2008, nine, it all started actually in 2007. I was made redundant two years later. So there's there's always a lag, you know. Um, and I think that people forget that things don't happen really quickly. Um, they tend to happen over a period of time. So it's, it's kind of, I, I always think it's the same message as hopefully a lot of companies are doing. When times are good, you, you stockpile a bit of cash because there will be corrections, there will be downturns. Make sure you can get through those because if you can, you'll do very well in the next bit. Yeah, that's a really good tip of advice. And I think that's what has really gone wrong is that no one thought that a pandemic could be this disruptive. So a lot of businesses were doing business like they were five ten years ago not thinking that right now they had to move on there's a lot of money gone into online platforms and having to become online which mm. a lot of these big businesses were never thinking that they had to do and so if you don't have the cash in the bank yeah they, they, it. 
Yeah, they've all they've all been a bit drunk on the cheap money as well, you know. So a lot a lot of businesses have been fueled and, and have grown because they can borrow so cheaply. Um and yeah, that's okay. But you um, you know, you should also be stockpiling cash, really. You know, cash is the only thing that really, really matters. Um and when lending dries up like it did in 2009, I mean, that hasn't happened this time around because it hasn't been a banking crisis, but um, you never know when lending might dry up. Although we did have it, didn't we? I mean, you might know this better than me, but the LTVs plummeted, didn't they? What what lenders were actually going to lend, you know, I think, you know, one day 75%, the next 60. Um, stuff like that can happen. Um, and I think, yeah, everyone always calls the pandemic a black swan event. But um, if anyone wants to go away and do a bit of research, research Akhil Patel and the 18-year economic cycle. Uh, I've been reading this stuff for a few years. And he he called this, you know, about six, 12 months before it happened. He's like, I don't know what it is, don't know what it'll be, don't know when exactly it'll come, but this happens throughout history. Um, but people have short memories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, huge issue. I mean, things like the lending market at the moment is pretty difficult, especially because lenders risk appetite seems to have changed a lot I, i've noticed that the hoops to get lending are exceptionally difficult if you've got any kind of mark on your credit score whatsoever yeah they're not going to yeah. lend you lend to you yeah i so i my so i've got this uh cheap yeah ex-chief risk officer i've got a risk qualification but credit risk was my focus mm-hmm. basically so I, I've calculated the loss provisioning for a couple of companies, you know, as in working out, you know, how much we need to set aside for future losses. I've done all the uh, analysis and collections reporting and everything like that. And what tends to happen is that, yeah, when the going is good, they, they want to lend more. They want to lend loads, lend loads, lend loads. And then as soon as they get a bit of an inkling that things might not be going so great, they're just going to close shop as much as they can, protect the loan book because they know they're going to have defaults. Um, so yeah, that, and that that is all cyclical. You know, it, it just happens. It comes and goes, um, and yeah, and that that will forever happen as well. You know, this this is one thing we're going through at the moment. But there'll be other stuff every decade or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think that um, by the end of this year, lending will get easier? Yeah, good question. Um, it's really hard to know. Like like I say, I, I think the thing that everyone's forgetting is that furlough i mean i i know a few people who've been on furlough for a year um and they haven't they haven't worked for a year but they've been getting paid now back in 2009 when the um media company i was working for in london when everything started tanking and companies stopped advertising because they didn't have a marketing budget anymore they just halved our team and said here's your redundancy payment good luck right so this is very different to that where people's income is being supported um you could argue it's very hard to turn that tap off and it may just continue you know universal credit or what they're doing in the states would just keep handing out new checks um but if 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 um if any point they did say that's it furloughs over i wonder how many companies would just do mass redundancies um and that that's when things get really scary because that when, when people are really struggling you get all the knock-on effects of you know um yeah you, you get the societal impact um, and that's worrying. that's worrying so so in terms of how how lending yeah might change by the end of this year it all comes down to what sort of government support is going to remain in place i think do you think there needs to be government 
support in place or do you reckon it just needs to be kind of like let's rip the band-aid off let's I I think as soon as they did QE and rescued the banks there was no turning back because as soon as you've done it once you're gonna have to keep doing it which was it the steel company at the moment who are asking you know government save us again like you know 30 years ago there's no way they'd have just gone bust or someone would have acquired them for peanuts and it would have you know all turned into a new cycle now they call them zombie companies the ones that wouldn't otherwise still be going uh, and there's loads of them there's absolutely loads of them so it, it's it's very hard to stop this type of thing because of the knock-on effect um but what that means is inflation and stuff so historically it means inflation or stagflation or whatever it may be so i worry about my kids and my kids kids um because to pay off what they borrowed for the first world war took 100 years and this has been bigger than that it's scary isn't it and then people complaining that there could be tax hikes or we'll see it in other places yeah you- was it yeah inflation is uh stealth tax so things, <laughs> like, things, things like in the budget you know so no change to the thresholds for capital gains and uh, personal allowance and all the other stuff for five years right so prices will go up in five years but your um you know what what you're going to be taxed on therefore is going to be you're going to get taxed on more right because the thresholds are lower relatively so yeah that stuff is sneaky because no one really questions it at the time um corporation tax tax jumping uh i forget what the percent is so when it jumps from 19 to i think is it 25 i forget now um that's not six percent that's 30 percent right so 25 divided by 19 minus one is 30 or so so it's actually you'll be paying 30 percent more corporation tax on the same profit and the, yeah. these, these are the bits that people don't realize so they, they have to do something right they have to do something you know or, or they could just keep printing money indefinitely but that's you know there tends to be a reckoning at some point throughout history so they have to do something tax is the way to do it tax the wealthy even if they're not um is the easiest way to do it when when you're trying to get votes at the same time mm-hmm. this is this is something that scares me actually about the housing market because the this current government have been all on first time buyers come and buy your property oh hold up our help to buy scheme didn't work because the developers uh didn't develop proper properties but don't worry we'll keep lending to you new budget we're taxing these people but first time buyers here you go here's here's yeah. the guarantor scheme and i wonder if uh, this strange way of of trying to raise tax here but give here mm. is also not going to be very helpful and the only reason that they're doing it is to get votes and because they messed up so badly last year with yeah. how they handled the pandemic i don't know it's it's worrying do you yeah know, do you i so i mean well, I, I read quite a lot about sort of government, you know, sort of intervention generally. I, I think throughout history, it, it's never really worked. Um, the free market tends to figure stuff out better than a state will. Um, it's actually brilliant. Well, Dominic Frisby has written a couple of brilliant books. Life After the State is great. Daylight Robbery is probably even better. That's about taxation. Sounds dry, but he's actually a, he's a comedian, so it's pretty funny. But, um, but yeah, but there is, you know, there, there is that way of doing things. And then there is another way the other way you know of letting people figure it out tends to work better in the long run but you 
when there's you know day-to-day -day issues you can't really just do that because as soon as you switch a tap off you're going to create a problem somewhere um, mm -hmm. so it is yeah it's, it's tricky times though I, I wouldn't want to be in that's for sure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you look at all different investment classes mm. what are you seeing right now across the board because i know you know we i talk predominantly about property i don't know too much about other investment classes mm. yeah. how do you go about it and you know from a personal point of view rather than giving general advice yeah 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 so no guidance no personal oh sorry guidance only no personal advice so actually I, I was a proper lazy investor until about four years ago it's when i when i collapsed on that plane i suddenly realized i was like i really need to think differently um if i'm gonna collapse on the plane and i'm in an exec job fly me here there and everywhere and make me do 80 hours with young kids and i don't really trust my pension to have enough in it I need to start educating myself. So I, I just, I, I always say it to my mates, I, I felt like I went back to university um, and I just, I just started reading like mad. So I invest across various things now. So uh, I like SME business. I like investing into businesses. Uh, property wise, we'll probably invest in overseas property. I'm part of an international community and I like traveling. <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. I, I like, I like the idea of that, but we haven't, uh, we haven't pulled the trigger on anything yet. We almost have in Portugal and Panama, but we didn't uh, complete on them. And then I like crypto. I've been investing in crypto since about 2017. I've upped my holdings in a couple of things recently. Uh, precious metals, a few smarter people than me have um, been talking about physical assets again and inflation hedges, so gold and silver. Um, but yeah, but how, how I did it. So I, I don't, I suppose I don't watch too much TV. I don't go on all the social media very much. I probably read for about four or five hours a day, every day, relevant stuff. Um, and it tends to be, I sort of, I suppose, spent these four years finding the resources that I like and trust and think that they know what they're on about. And I just devour those. Um, so I read a lot of books, but I'm also, I also sub uh, subscribe to stuff that's well worth my money. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And have you made mistakes along the way with your investment? Yeah, loads. You, if, if you haven't, if you, if somebody says they've never lost money on investment, they're lying, um, or or they're not taking enough risk, uh, one or the other. So I tend to dip my toe. So I dip my toe in something. Don't put too much of our overall net worth into one investment area, and then if it goes well, I'll increase my investment. Um, but only when I find out if it goes well. The peer to peer stuff has taken some massive unraveling, and some of it still is unraveling. Um, so that, that was a big mistake, was putting too much into the peer-to-peer. -peer. I tried to diversify by platforms and different parts of the country, different types of projects. But yeah, they, they've all been delayed, all of them, every single one. Ooh. Yeah, but the crypto's done quite well. Um, yeah, I'm quite quite happy. I've now got some silver bullion. Um, and yeah, and the international property is like the long-term, uh, along with SME investing. Um, so getting getting minority or or majority equity in multiple SMEs where I've actually got a bit of control over what's going on, not just, you know, buying loads of shares of BP and hoping they go up. Yeah. Why did you buy Silver Bullion? Uh, the Royal Mint, just straight from the Royal Mint. Yeah. And yeah. you're actually buying so you can hold and it's in a safe somewhere? You can, yeah, yeah. So you can buy it physically or they will hold it for you in your name. Um, you can buy as well overseas if you don't really trust the UK government not to seize it at some point, which has happened in history, by the way, they seized gold. Um, so you can, you know, if you find like Singapore, Panama, somewhere like that, where they're not going to just hand it over to the Brits if they say give all this British people's money to us. Um, 
so that, there's multiple ways of doing it um yeah and this um this maybe lead, leads on a little bit to, to what i did a few years ago which is tried to then teach people about all this through a, a little community mm -hmm. of alternative investors called guerrilla investors just still going but i've sort of um been less active on it over the last sort of year or so because we've been a friend and i have been pivoting and trying to make it broader like it used to just be alternative assets um and then we realized that actually that there's more you could teach people about becoming more uh, independent um so yeah we're now in the final stages of pivoting to this other service which will take people from permanent employee to permanent investor um, yeah Ooh. which would be very cool and it's it's the stuff me and him are really passionate about um yeah it's trying to trying to educate people or people who have that as an aspiration but also just educate people even if you just i call them zombies so people who are salary only must be income exposed so if you just rely on your salary you're being really foolish um, and you should just at least start to build up other investments um, so you're not just relying on that one thing if if a redundancy comes or a pandemic comes again or anything or something happens to you make sure you've got other income streams where would you start with that i mean obviously come to you because you're very <laughs> but where do you tell people to start yeah. like what's an easy place to start unfortunately the answer is there isn't um so okay. there are so many rabbit holes this is the thing I'm, anyone who's listening to this who's been down the facebook rabbit holes or you know done a bit of trading or or whatever it is or, or you know invested a little bit in crypto whatever it is you can spend so much time um getting it wrong <laughs> um and it will cost you time money energy stress you out all the other things so that's actually what we're looking to do with this is just to we say we're not the gurus we're the reporters so we're going to go out research it and report back to you lot so it'll be within a community we're probably going to use telegram or something where people can actually have a chat as well and then we'll bring some off-market opportunities eis has massive tax benefits it's really good over here we might bring some eis stuff to the to the group but it's more just going to be people who are interested in this type of thing and want to know more, especially things like overseas visas. So you can get residency in quite a lot of countries um, without having to spend loads of money on their government bonds or whatever. But knowing where to look and knowing which lawyer to speak to, we, we already know. So we're then going to impart that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what's the benefit of being an overseas yeah, visa so holder? So if the UK locks you down for a year, um, you could go to Mexico or you could go to somewhere else where they won't lock you down. Um, you know, it's th things things like, I mean, it, you know, it, everyone will have a different opinion on, on the lockdown, so I don't want to get into that. But it's more things like, so my daughter really likes horse riding. She hasn't ridden a horse for a year because no one will, she can't go. The kids haven't been swimming for a year. Um, obviously, we ended up homeschooling for six out of the last 12 months. You, you never know when you might want to plan B. Mm -hmm. yeah. I understand that. You might, you might not want to use it. You might just want to know that you've got this second passport or a residency somewhere. Um, but there's also, there, there's, you know, again, I'm not going to get into people's views on paying tax, but um, the non-habitual residency in Portugal, you can get 10 years tax benefits. Uh, Uruguay is the same. You can get 10 years as well. Um, yeah, and, and and also just the world is great. I've traveled, I think, to over 40 countries and there's ones I probably prefer more than the UK. Um, and I'd quite like to know that I could go there and spend as long as I want, not just a couple of weeks on holiday. Mm -hmm. 
So like Mexico, Mexico is a great one. So I only found out recently that most countries you get a 90 day tourist visa when you go. Mexico, you get 180 immediately. So you can go to Mexico for six months. Like, you know, you don't even need a visa or anything. You can just go for six months. Um, and there's a lot of nice parts of Mexico. I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> but the, but the, I think I think that's probably just just my general view on everything, especially like I say, these last four years. Like when you collapse on a plane when you're 35 with two young kids at home, it brings things into perspective a bit. And and I was just like, I think I need to think differently. I think that what I've been doing up to now, which is what a lot of other people have been doing, slogging it out, trying to climb the corporate ladder to earn more money to buy a big house. I was like, that just doesn't seem like a very good idea. Um, so I just started started thinking differently. And now we've like hammered down our outgoings. Our outgoings are so low, um, especially for a family of four. And I, I've come with the opinion that having low outgoings is probably the best way to get freedom. Because you, you you can take more, you can take a few risks because you know paying your bills isn't costing a lot. You can you know especially some of the higher risk stuff which um, has the higher return. You can get a bit more involved in that because you've only got like for us two and a half grand a month. That's all we need a month to to pay everything, absolutely everything. Um, people down in London seven seven and a half if they got a beastie mortgage. Um, you know in, in my mind that's just utterly bonkers. Get your outgoings down, start investing. And think about what you actually want to achieve over the next 10, 20, 30 years. That is the best advice. <laughs> I'm fully on board with that. That's exactly what I do. If I didn't have the money to prop everything else up, I'd be terrified. I've been in that position too much where you start losing things and you're like, I don't know how this is going to work. So I completely agree with you. Steve, this has been an absolute pleasure. I am going to put all of the links where you can find Steve below in the show notes. You can also come and find him in my members club as well. There's plenty of goodness, really great information over there. Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so thanks much for coming. Yeah, thanks a lot. No, it's been great. Thanks. Thank you to everybody who's listened today. If you've liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review because that helps more people find this podcast. Thank you for listening to me today. Thank you to Steve for coming over. I can't wait to catch up with you all again. Bye.